Good morning. If you turn with me to the passage on which today's teaching is based, <clears throat> it comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 38. I'm just going to read until the end of the chapter. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. Uh, she had a sister named, called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And this is God's word. <clears throat> Martha is a friend of Jesus, she's trying to serve Jesus, but she's rebuked. And she's rebuked not because she's not working, but because she is working. It's a hard saying. But this narrative teaches us three things about our personal relationship with Jesus, if you have one. And if you do, that means that you have a radical new agenda, a radical new joy, and a radical new intimacy. A radical new agenda, it's a confidence that leads to an, a radical new agenda that leads to a radical new, because of a radical new joy, because you have a radical new intimacy. First, we're gonna look at agenda. Verse 38, Jesus came to the home of Martha and Mary. Now you have to understand this is ancient times. And hospitality in ancient times is very important. And coupled with the fact that uh, the fast food concept hadn't really emerged until 1921, uh, and the fact that there was no electricity and no refrigerators, to host a meal, to host a dinner in particular, was very, very involved, very, very costly. You're sharing a very limited but intimate part of your evening with somebody. That person has to be special then, and it's costly. I mean, all the food was fresh, and if you were serving meat and you somebody that important, you're going to serve meat. If you're serving meat, then it was costly. It was very expensive, and it took a lot of work to prepare. In verse 39, it was pretty clear Mary was working with Martha, but the text says she left the work behind to be with Jesus, and she sat at his feet listening to him. Now remember, in those days, rabbis, they would sit and teach, but they only taught men. They never taught women. And yet here's Mary. Mary is uh, a woman, and yet she's sitting and she's listening. She's being taught by Jesus. And she's not rebuked for what she's doing. In fact, she's honored. Jesus says, what she's doing, it will not be taken away from her. Now, what does that tell you? Mary has a place. She's not relying on her service to get in with Jesus. She's accepted by Jesus already. She's accepted by Jesus in a society that has marginalized her. She has, uh, she has, she's realized that she's known in a world that has ignored her, completely neglected her. She's valued by Jesus. She's loved by Jesus. And because she knew that she is loved by Jesus, she doesn't just stay in the kitchen. She doesn't just comply to society's view of women in those ancient times. Now, that's a remarkable picture of biblical femininity. She has a courage that transcends her social standing 
And yet it's also remarkable because it's a great picture of biblical humility. She's, she's a woman and yet she's able to submit and to learn and she's teachable. And it's also a picture of biblical wisdom because here's Mary. She knows how to discern the difference between what is urgent and what is important in her life. Her relationship with Jesus shapes her agenda. Now, you got to think about this. <clears throat> Mary's not trying to start a movement here. She's not sitting here and thinking, what could get me written into the Bible? That's not what she's doing. She just knew in that moment what was most important, and that shaped her humility, that shaped her wisdom, and that shaped what she did. And because her relationship with Jesus was the most important driver in her life, in a society that values many other things, values family, values hospitality, values saving face, looking good in front of other people, and so you have to prep a great meal, especially if you're a woman, her choice to sit with Jesus radically rose above her culture and her social agenda so much so that thousands of years later, we're still talking about Mary. That ability to discern what is important above what is urgent, it gave her a radical confidence, and that confidence shaped her agenda. Why? It's because she has a new joy. She is, she's experienced a new joy. Jesus makes this very special trip to see Martha and Mary and Lazarus. It's, very, it's fairly known throughout the Gospels that Jesus loved this family, particularly Martha. I mean, Martha was a leader. Martha was a doer. She was practical. She was tactical. She was excellent. Clearly, type A, a lot of people can relate with that. Look at the time. Look at the devotion. Look at the cost and the energy that it takes to prepare this kind of a meal for a guest. There's no doubt that Martha was doing something beautiful for Jesus. She clearly loved Jesus, and Jesus clearly loved this family, and yet she's rebuked. Now, a couple things before we get into this. Jesus isn't beating up on Martha. He had a relationship with Martha. He knew Martha. He loved Martha. Number two, Jesus, uh, he doesn't initiate the rebuke. If you look at the text, he's merely responding Actually, to Martha's indignance, Martha's frustration. And lastly, Jesus doesn't rebuke Mar Martha because she's secular, because she's worldly. He rebukes her for doing ministry. He rebukes her for serving. But he rebukes her because, verse 40, it says she's distracted. Here's Mary. Mary's serving. Mary's helping to prepare food. She leaves all that behind to Martha, and she goes to sit with Jesus. But Martha's service actually gets in the way of her being with Jesus. And it was visible. It was palpable. Poor Martha. She's so frustrated. And, and Jesus is basically saying that you are in this condition because you're not doing what Mary is doing. You see, a good meal, a good home, that's all a woman had. That's all a woman had to maintain her dignity. And so a poorly prepped meal was a disgrace to that family. It was a disgrace, an embarrassment to her personally. So Martha, I mean, she is stressed. She's frustrated. She makes two comments that really give us a sense. They really cries for help, and it, and it reveals what's really going on inside of Martha. Verse 40, first thing she says is, Lord, do you not care? 
Don't you care? And secondly, she says, tell her, tell Mary to help me. Don't you care? Tell her to help me. In her frustration, she basically takes it out on Jesus and says, what is going on here? I'm trying to prepare this wonderful meal. Don't you care? Tell Mary to help me. In other words, we're going to look at don't you care. In other words, don't you notice? Don't you see what I'm doing for you? Martha is working. She is sweating. She is slaving to gain Jesus' attention, to earn his love through her work, through her service. Then I'm going to be noticed. And if I'm noticed by Jesus, I will feel good about myself. A lot of us feel that way when we're in the church. If I serve, if I work hard, if I look good in front of other people, then I will be appreciated. Then my service means something. Then I feel valuable. Then I feel a sense of work. A lot of us feel the other way. We feel that way when we're outside of the church. We find that in our work. If I'm only appreciated, if I get a pat on the back, if I win that award, if I get that promotion, because promotions and bonuses and, 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 uh, and raises, those are the hallmarks of appreciation in our secular society today. If I can, then I'm noticed, then I'm seen. That's what we say. In a sense, Martha is not serving Jesus. Martha's serving herself. She's, she's a slave to her low sense of worth. Don't you care? That is not just something said in frustration. That is a plea to notice me. That is a cry. Acknowledge me. Pity me. Love me. And when you're not noticed, in that state, there is the insecurity. There is the inadequacy. There is the anxiety. When other people are noticed and you are not, maybe you worked harder, but other people are noticed, there is the, the anger and the jealousy, the bitterness. When you're overlooked, it's easy to get bitter. It's easy to be jealous. I'm doing all the work here. What is that person doing? That's exactly what's going on here. Don't you notice me? What is she doing? There's an emptiness. There's a weariness. There's an aloneness and an anxiety, a depression that comes from working to earn anybody's love for that matter. But think, if that's how we are with finite creatures with each other, how much greater the chasm when we're looking to God to be noticed. That's Martha, working to earn God's love. Jesus saw that. He sees that in Martha, and he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. You're worried about where you stand, and I want you to get it. Mary left because she knows where she stands. So she's going to go where she delights, She's chosen what is better. It's not going to be taken away from her. That's basically what he says. You are worried about where you stand, and here's why. If you're thinking right now, if I just live a good life, God's going to bless me, then what you're really saying is, if I'm good, if I obey, if I work hard, if I serve in the church, if I give, God is going to notice me. And in a sense then, he owes me because I've done my part, and God's going to do his part. That's why we get so disillusioned when he doesn't answer our prayers. That's a boss-employee relationship. And boss-employee relationships, no matter how close you are with your boss, they're colder. They tend to be transactional. It's not driven by love. And there's a, there's a deep emptiness if you're putting all of your spiritual and cosmic eggs into that basket, you see. But the church is Jesus' bride. The church is Jesus' love. And so if you're serving in the church and you're joyless and you're working to earn other people's favor, you're working to earn God's favor... 
you're gonna resent the church. Jesus says, stop worrying. He's not here for the meal. He's here for you. He's not here for your service. He's here for you. Right now, it's probably appropriate for me to say, a lot of us, even at home, we're distracted. You know, you're watching and you're participating in worship, but your heart is being pulled in many directions and you're distracted. And even if you're sitting still and watching, your mind is racing through a million things. And what Jesus is saying is leave it behind. Stop worrying. Stop getting worked up over this. Choose what is better. Clear away the distraction. Worship well. Worship well. The second thing that Martha says is, tell Mary to help me. Martha is comparing herself with Mary because, I mean, because she wants the attention. She's drawing attention to other people that she feels superior to who are actually getting the attention by drawing attention to their failures. You see that? Because then, if, he, if Jesus just sees what Mary is doing and what she left behind, she abandoned me, she abandoned the work, she's supposed to be serving you, then he'll acknowledge me because I'm doing all the work. I'm doing all the work. Doesn't he see this? Look at Mary just sitting there. And this is the difference between religion and the gospel. Martha is working to be seen for her sacrifice. Martha is working to be acknowledged, to be credited for her sacrifice. But there's no intimacy. There's no intimacy there. It's cold and it's transactional. And so there's no joy and so she's frustrated. But here's Mary. Mary was working. But she knew when to leave her work behind because of the intimacy that she shares with Jesus. Because she loved Jesus. Her, the love of Jesus defined her relationship with Jesus. And so you have Martha on one hand. Martha is using Jesus. Martha's trying to almost manipulate Jesus to get a sense of worth for herself. That's what religion is. Religion is, I work hard. I work to earn my worth. I work to earn my worth through my work, getting appreciation, rising in status, rising in position. Look, even an irreligious person, I said this right just now, there are lots of religious tendencies in an irreligious person. If you've never been to church before, you still know what I'm talking about. You're just serving a different God in a sense. Maybe it's your career or just building your home, building your family, a good family, the right kids. You're pouring your life into these things and you're working, you're slaving to be noticed by what? It gives you a sense of worth. Why? Mary is able to leave this behind. And because if you and what if you're not able to leave it behind, it's gonna leave you anxious and depressed tired, tired and angry. The gospel, the gospel is defined by an intimacy with Jesus as your sense of worth. And so you have one person who's working to get a relationship. You have the other person who left their work because they have a relationship. And so their work, their success, that pat on the back, you may get it, that status or honor, you may get those things, but it doesn't define you. And so you can leave it behind. Mary still has a self. Mary still has an identity. Mary's still internally put together. Religion is outside in. I had to be good on the outside to be acceptable to God, to feel acceptable to God. And so what's going to happen is 
work, your success, your service, it's gonna drive your joy. Well, then you're always gonna be working. You're always gonna be working. You're always gonna be slaving away. And you're gonna be frustrated because sometimes you're gonna feel exploited. Sometimes you're just gonna let, you just don't have the help. You're gonna feel used at times, and it happens often. But the gospel is inside out. I'm already accepted. I'm already loved. And that leads to a great joy, and that joy drives my work. Religion says work drives your joy. The gospel says your joy drives your work. Mary knew the difference between what is urgent and what is important because she had a joy. There was a joy that, grounded, that was grounded in her relationship with Jesus. What about you? You know, you look around, I mean, right now, there's only a few people in this room, but if I were to look around and imagine our congregation sitting there, I know that there's a lot of people who are just in miserable jobs, or maybe even miserable in the church, miserable in their relationships. And so they, they're looking for joy. They're craving some kind of notice, some kind of appreciation. And so they pour into certain types of people and they fail them. They're disappointed. So they pour into other types of people and they're failed and disappointed. So they pour into other types of people and you're constantly working and working. Aren't you tired? I mean, that's what drives our anxiety because we're so desperate to control our relationships because what those relationships mean for our sense of worth. You're investing these things uh, and it's making you tired. What makes a church, what makes a church like Metro, and this is what I love about Metro, we've been saying this since the beginning, what makes our church vibrant, what makes it upbeat, is not because it's filled with people who grew up in the church. Actually, Metro is not filled with people who grew up in the church, or maybe they did, but they walked away and they came back. And when they came back, people have rediscovered the love of Jesus for them. And that rediscovery increases their joy. And increasing their joy, it increases their service. They're able to serve gladly. It's why we're able to do what, we're do, what we've been doing. How do you get it? How do you get that kind of joy? And we just said it. You need a radical intimacy. Mary, Mary paid attention to Jesus. She was focused and she was listening. You always see that with Mary. Look at the gentleness of Jesus' rebuke to Martha. I mean, he's just counseling her. He's speaking to her heart. He could have said, Martha, don't you know me by now? You're being foolish. You don't get it. But instead, here's Jesus. He sees Martha hurting. I'm not seen. I just want to be seen. And so he sees her. And he counsels her. He begins with Martha, Martha. Now, that sounds condescending, but whenever you see that doublet, in the Gospels like that, what you're seeing is uh, a language style that's intended to magnify an intense emotion. So in other words, in a sense, Jesus is looking to Martha. Martha is, Martha is just upset. She's frustrated. And Jesus is moved to tears. And he's saying, I understand. I know. I know, Martha. And Jesus then responds with two things. First, you are worried and upset with many things. And then the second thing he says is, Mary has chosen what is better. You are worried and upset with many things. That connotes, you are torn to pieces, Mary. 
You're all over the place. It's, it's a picture of a person who's pulled in every different direction, and as a result, they're just falling apart. They're exploding. And, and you're upset. That's, that's a picture of a person who's lost power, lost motivation. It's almost like the engine in their lives has been ripped out of them, and so they just kind of fall flat. And so Jesus is looking at Martha, moved to tears, and is saying, Martha, you are pulled in every direction, and you're falling apart, and, and you've lost your center. You've lost your engine. You didn't just lose balance. You've lost your engine. You lost power and motivation and joy. Mary understands what's important, and so she's not pulled apart in every direction. So she understands that there's a cadence between her work. She doesn't work when she should be resting. She doesn't rest when she should be working. She understands that there's a cadence between work and rest and joy. And it's all centered around her relationship with me. That's what he's saying. Martha, your cadence, you're, you're, you're not in sync with your work or your rest. Everything's falling apart. You're pulled apart in every direction. You're falling apart because you've lost your center. You've lost your engine. Your cadence is off because you're focused on yourself. And so your urgencies have become your master. But Mary is left to be with her master. And so the second thing he says is Mary has chosen what is better. In other words, look at Mary. She is resting in me. You know why? Because I'll never overwork you. Jesus will never overwork you. He says, I won't, I'm not going to make you work or earn my approval. When you come to me, you can just rest. Martha's saying, I'm, I'm not heard. I'm not heard. I'm not seen. Jesus says, just rest and be with me. You're already in. Listen. Here's why I'm not going to ask Mary to help you. It's not because I don't see you. It's not because you're not working hard enough. It's because you're overworking. And work has become your master. Work has ruled you. Work controls you. That desire to earn somebody's approval through your work has become your master. And that is why you are angry. That is why you're anxious. You're worried and upset about many things. But Mary, I am her master. You see, the very act of sitting by your rabbi, it's not just because you want to listen or you want to get close. To sit at someone's feet is to be under their authority. There are passages in the Old Testament that says that God will make his enemies a footstool for his feet. To sit beside someone's feet, if someone's feet is, is to be under their authority. So Mary's not just listening to him in his passive way. Mary's actually submitting to Jesus. Martha's coming to Jesus to be heard. Mary's coming to Jesus to hear, to listen. She, Martha's coming to Jesus so that she could get something from Jesus. Mary's coming to Jesus for more of Jesus, to hear more of Jesus. Jesus is her master. There are people here who who are serving or working because it gives them a sense of worth. You're not coming to Jesus for Jesus then. You're coming to Jesus. Whenever we come to Jesus in that state, we're, going, we're coming to Jesus 
Help me with my work, because work is your master. Help me with this. Help me to get promoted. Help me to buy this. Help. You're coming to Jesus for things. Mary has left those things behind to be with Jesus. Mary is always at Jesus' feet. Remember, this is the same Mary in John chapter 12. This is the same Mary who comes before Jesus, comes to her feet, to his feet, drops down and, and pours a bottle of expensive perfume over his feet. The disciples, they're freaking out. That, that jar of perfume could have been a year's wages, they say. Jesus says, she has done a beautiful thing for me. He honors her again. She is preparing for my burial. What does that mean? You see, Jesus is constantly telling his disciples throughout the Gospels that he's going to die. Mary listened. She's always at his feet, and she's listening. No one else got it. But in that moment, Mary comes through the doors, pours this expensive perfume, wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. She got it. Jesus says, she's preparing for my burial. How did she get it? It's because she didn't just passively listen. She submitted to Jesus, and she applied what she was learning. See, if you take your understanding of Jesus and run it through your lens, your grid, your agenda, you know, for your life, then you're never going to get Jesus. You're never going to, Jesus is going to be confounding to you. It's going to be confusing to you. You're not going to agree with some things he says for you. You're not going to agree with some things he asks of you. You have to run. Look at what Mary does. Mary is instead running Jesus. She's not running Jesus through her agenda. She's running her life through Jesus' agenda, Jesus' lens, Jesus' grid. She submits to his word. So here's Jesus teaching Martha. Martha's angry. He could have argued with her, but he wants to bring her back. And he says this, look, there is no meal without me. There's no celebration without me. There's no joy without me. You have no confidence without me. There is no intimacy without me. Martha's saying, I'm not seen. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, he's in tears. I'm hurting for you because I understand. You know why he's in tears? He is the one person who would understand what it means to do a perfect work and not be noticed. Only Jesus knows what it's like to work and give it his life to give it his blood and his sweat and his tears and yet truly be overlooked and forgotten by God. On the cross, what do you see? There's Jesus, and he is working, and he's slaving, and he's struggling. And when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is this. Do you not see? Don't you notice? And yet there was no one to help. God isn't going to send somebody to help. And so he's working, and he's saying, I'm sweating, and I'm groaning, and I'm bleeding, and yet I'm rejected, and I'm suffering the ultimate aloneness, the ultimate fatigue, with no one to help. Everyone has abandoned me. 
And so I am not seen, I am not heard, I'm forsaken. Immediately after this passage, Jesus teaches how to pray. And if you hear this prayer, how does it start? It doesn't start with, my God, here are these things I want. That's not how it starts. What it starts, it's so intimate, so dependent. It's the Lord's Prayer. Jesus himself listening to God, submitting to God's word. And he teaches us to begin the prayer with our Father. Do you know that the Muslim Quran has 400 references for the word God and not one of them refer to God as his Father, as our Father? Jesus says, I want you to pray our Father. Pray with that kind of intimacy. How can we call God our Father? Because Jesus was disowned by the Father so we could be brought in. Jesus gave up his status so that we would have ultimate status. Jesus was disowned so that we could be children of God. We could be his heirs. You can have that kind of intimacy with God. Jesus had that kind of intimacy with God. His relationship with the Father, he was so submissive, submissive to the end. When he's tempted, he's, he shares the word. He was so in line. It was a part of him. He was so dependent on God. Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Even when he was homeless, even when he was arrested, even when he was being tortured, even when he was suffering. Look at the faithfulness of Jesus. Look at the commitment of Jesus. Look at the the dependence of Jesus. Look at the love of Jesus for his father all the way to the cross. And yet do you know, while the wrath of God is pouring out on Jesus, on the cross, and he's working and slaving and bleeding. One, he still completed the work perfectly. Perfectly. Perfectly submissive to God. Perfectly trusting God as God has abandoned him. Perfectly submissive to that promise. He trusted faithfully in the promise of God and in the character of God. Despite all visible evidence that shows that God is not present. He trusted in the mission of God. And to the author of Hebrews says, he did it for the joy that was set before him. You know what that means? He still had his joy. His joy was intact. Martha says, I'm alone. And yet Jesus was right there. Jesus on the cross was truly forsaken. And you hear him cry, my God, my God. There's the doublet again. He's weeping as he's suffering. And yet his joy When he says, it is finished, that was not some cry of defeat by some criminal who will be forgotten for the ages. That is the roaring words of a king, a lion of Judah, who says, the work is done. Surely, you can trust Jesus at his word. You can trust God according to his word. Mary did that. And so we remember her. Now, some of you are saying, well, I mean, this could have been made up. Maybe it's fiction. There's no way. Do you know when this passage was written? This passage by itself, without any context, is boring. A guy goes to a place to eat, and the sister was mad because nobody helped her. 
You would never write fiction like that in ancient times. That type of kind of mundane language that's included in fiction didn't appear until maybe a few hundred years ago. That style of writing. This passage was too mundane to be treated as fiction in the ancient times. Nobody would have bought it. It would have been forgotten. And on top of that, look, the hero of this story is a woman. This person wrote it as news, nonfiction, good news. And it teaches, teaches us that true biblical heroism happens not through action, but through submission. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. Mary kissing the feet of Jesus. Today, in our world today, in our generation today, there is no greater time in the history of the world that is as distracted as our world today, as our society today. Take the time to just listen to Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Trust Jesus at his word, through the word. We live in a very tired generation. Every other master is gonna make you work and work and work and work. Jesus is the only master that's gonna say, rest, rest in me. I see you, I know you, I love you, I embrace you, be with me. That's the purpose of worship. We don't just worship Jesus because he is king and he is worthy of our worship. We worship him because we can rest in him. And so we love to worship him. And so as we respond in song, I want you to reflect on the ways that we have abandoned Jesus for our work, even in the church. But to the degree that you trust and you hear the call of Jesus to rest in him, that the work is finished, you don't have to keep trying to finish it. It will bring you joy. And that joy is going to lead to great courage, courage, great humility we can worship. Okay? Friends, let's pray together.